Good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson. That's right. What have you got to be thankful for this morning, Lawson? Um, I, I bought a motorbike yesterday. Yes! We've been hanging out for this. Yes. And for a very long time. Well, yeah, relatively long time. Well, it felt like a long time because Lawson would talk about it every day yeah. before the show, <laughs> during the show, after the show. <laughs> no, it was. During the song break, during the music sometimes. break. I talk about it sometimes. No, but I, I bought a bike yesterday. It was yes. it was really good. What did you get? Um, I got a DRZ400. DRZ400. It's um, a road registered dirt bike, essentially. It's when what, can I ride it? What they call a this dual is the sport. only come, relevant question I need to ask this well, morning. Come over. When can I come? Well, you can't. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Lyle. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess we have to wait for. So once lockdown is over, though, yeah, we can ride it out your back gate. Onto the trails. Well, just in my backyard. In your backyard. So my... Um, we'll say that on there. One of, one of my friends came over yesterday because we did some legal exercising. We, we oh, went yes. and, and went for a walk. We both live in the same LGA. Yes. And we, you know, went for a walk. And then afterwards, he's actually a Malaysian guy who used to race motocross over there. And, and Christian guy too, who, um, you know, I know through church. And uh, yeah, when we got back, I was like, oh, check this out. I showed him my bike. And then we went down my backyard and had a bit of a ride. Uh, which is also exercise. So that is definitely exercise. So That's it my was kind of exercise right there. It was bring great. it on. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I was like, because you know, I'm working yesterday, doing a bunch of work from home, and uh, you know, yeah. During my lunch break, I was like, all right, I'll jump on the bike, go for like a half an hour ride, then come back, you know, work. Da da da. It was it was so fun. See, the thing is, the thing is, if you got your motorbike license, you could bring it to work, and I could take it for a ride here. I know, but I'm waiting for the RMS to open so I can do so. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's have some positively different news. Positively different news. Okay, before um, before I get into my news stories here, I just want to talk about something that happened last night. So I was hanging out with my friend Dishan yes. uh, at my place. And, yes, well, riding. You know, well, right, doing... Legal exercise. Yes. It's really great. And then he went home. He lives with another um, guy from our church called Mitch. Um, and they go home. And then at like like 1 a.m. or something, um, Mitch is like, this is, this is interesting because Mitch before this point was living alone. And now they live together. Mitch is like shaking uncontrollably, has like a 39 degree fever and is like... Oh, like just that's not good. Crazy, yeah. Like and so he calls out to to Dishin. Dishin comes in and sees him there, and basically, like he's like, "Okay, you need help, but before we get you help, like I'm gonna call the ambulance to come pick you up. Before I call the ambulance, we're gonna pray." And so he gets on his knees and he prays for Mitch and they pray together and he prays, Lord, you know, please like just help this sickness, you know, whatever is going on with Mitch, please, please work this out. And from what Mitch said, literally as soon as they finished praying, like, and they had the, the heat gun and everything, like he had the fever, like he was mm-hmm. seriously messed up. Um, immediately, like the, the shaking just quelled right down. You know, he started feeling better. Still, the ambulance came, took him to Wyong Hospital, went to the hospital, you know, waited in the room, um, got the different tests done because it was like, oh, is it COVID? Is it, 
some other thing. Anyways, yeah, got all the tests done. And uh, in the end, like, everything turned out to be fine. And Mitch, at 3 a.m., finally got the results and then headed, you know, headed back home. But I, I just, you know. Sounds like a spiritual attack. Oh, dude, it was intense. I, will, I was like, I woke up this morning and because they were kind of sharing everything on, we have like a group chat um, for our care groups. And he's just like sharing all this stuff and it's going backward and forward. And it's, it was just intense. Um, but ultimately, like, praise the Lord for whatever was going on there. Um, and that ultimately, like, you know, I just saw really clearly um, that amongst my friends, like, God did an amazing work. And so, I, I, you know, I read that this morning and I was like, that is some good news. Um, anyways, let's have a look at some more good news from across the world. Well, actually, let's start with some bad news. That is, it's some bad news that is informing people and let you know, uh, inspiring them to do good things. So July, um, this year, this July just gone was the world's hottest month ever recorded on average across Ooh, the world. Okay, so, so we didn't really feel that down here in the southern yeah, hemisphere. Yeah, well, well, it's it's winter, right, for us. Yes. But according to this, like I was I was reading through this, you know, um, this chart where it's like you know what each continent experienced. So for Asia, it was their hottest July ever. Mm -hmm. For Europe, it was their second warmest July ever. Uh, For North America, it was their fourth warmest July ever. For Australia, it was our fourth warmest July ever. Yeah, I didn't feel that in Newcastle, but okay. Other yeah, parts well, of Australia? You know, because we're in winter, yeah. like, you know, obviously. But we had plenty of... Was it a colder winter than what it was last year? Yeah. Oh, Definitely. I, I would, yeah. But hey, this is just one one location. I'm just speaking for one location. Yeah, that's and right. And we're talking about the entire nation. I get that. Um, Africa experienced its fifth hottest July ever, and South America experienced its sixth hottest July ever. And now all of these temperatures, on average, put together, has equaled the hottest July ever. There you go. Now people are chalking that up to all different things. Um, you know, whether it be climate change and, and you know, uh, production increase and whatever it may be that affects the climate in that way. Um, but this is like, you know, uh, the, these statistics people have seen and, and people are getting inspired to do certain things in terms of It's a consistent pattern energy. over the last 30 years or so. That's right. It's nothing like, you know, the dire predictions that some politicians have made in yeah, the past. Yeah, that's right. That have been ridiculous, but it's a consistent pattern, and it's what we should expect if we study Bible prophecy. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Simple as that. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. You That's know, what we should expect to be happening. You know, I, I remember like Al Gore in two thousand or whatever. It's like the yeah. world's going to end by twenty thirty. Like we're uh, going, you know, we're in twenty twenty one now, and it still looks no, very not. far way off. Um, but nonetheless, like you know, the world is getting nonetheless bored. the world is falling apart. Um, it's a so, consistent pattern. So there are some you know renewable technologies in you know increasing and whatnot around the world. Um, in particular, I'm going to focus on hydrogen today um, because yeah, hydrogen is awesome. Hydrogen's amazing. But I, this first story that I read is that we did a story probably about you know three weeks a month ago um, about a Chinese lab who were trying to harness nuclear fusion. Now a US um, a US lab laboratory as well they're doing their tests with nuclear f- fusion and whatnot um and apparently like they feel as though they're on the edge of of really getting nuclear fusion down and harnessing the power of the sun now this is the thing is that like like oh this is how their system works wait wait wait, wait. nuclear fusion and harnessing the power of the sun 
Yeah, well, because that's how nuclear fusion works, is that you create a mini sun. Yes, okay. All yeah, right. so... so uh, yeah, all right, that makes... Not, not right. solar power. Like, yeah, not solar power. No, no, so they're, like, essentially creating a mini sun, and how that works is that you compress hydrogen yes. into helium. Right. And then it burns, and yes. then it burns forever. The problem is compression, like, because you need to compress it so hard. Like, you need to squeeze it. You need to really, really squeeze it. Get a fistful and squeeze hard. So th- the way that these guys are squeezing it is that they're using lasers to, like, squeeze the hydrogen. It's, like, the most intense thing ever. And you know what? Like, the thing is, though, as I'm reading this, you know, I, I've seen the movie Spider-Man 2, and and that movie is all about how nuclear fusion goes wrong. And I'm like... Dude, that looks pretty intense. I'm, uh, like, what happens if the lasers go wrong or something and it just blows up and everyone dies? Like, Because you're creating, like... Uh, it's, it's, it's seriously cool technology. It is super cool technology, but the downside, like, the failure of, of the you know, something goes wrong. Obviously, they would put fail-safes and everything in, but when you're creating nuclear fusion mm. that can go wrong, mm. I'm like... Yikes. I love it, though, because it's like, you know, um, we saw with the Chinese lab, they were they kind of had, you know, different methods to compress using heat and whatnot, whereas these guys are just using a laser, which is like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> um, but I'm like, that's, that's Speaking intense. about lasers. Oh, yeah. Have you seen these new laser weeders? No. This is like a massive robot, like a huge tractor-sized machine. Okay. Has a bank of lasers underneath of it. And it robotically drives over the top of your crops and zaps every weed. Just it's just like got some AI that can yeah, see I, weeds. I, I, I can see weeds, and I and, and say so like that's not wheat, that's a weed, and just zap it. That's that's really we completely cool. transformed the parable of Jesus, where the you know they they sowed the tares amongst the weeds. Yeah, um, but it's completely free of herbicides. That is great. That's very cool. I want a handheld one that I can use in my backyard. <laughs> Dude, that's weeding, awesome. weeding a thing of the past, just wave it over the top. Yeah. And they're all gone. They just shrivel up and die. Well, this laser is a little bit more intense than that because it's trying to get this. Um, yeah, that seems like a seriously intense this laser. Hydrogen, it's trying to heat the hydrogen up to 100 million degrees Celsius. So that's um, off the charts. That's really off the charts. Okay, and one more story about hydrogen. So now the U. The the UK government has planned to invest $900 million into hydrogen-powered vehicles um, and create out of it 9,000 uh, 9, jobs. So basically they've seen that, uh, look, we need to we need to make a change. They're, they've like put their foot down. They're not listening to the automotive, automotive industry that's trying to kill. So lithium stuff. is not the answer. Hydrogen. Hydrogen is... I, I'm, I'm all for that. I am about it. I think they were inspired by, you know, in the Tokyo Olympics, all the vehicles there were hydrogen. That was something we talked about last week. Yes. But, yeah, oh, just really cool to see the new technology that's coming out. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so Brett has uh, texted in to say that it's not about global warming. It's about global warning. Oh, that's... That's a good one. Yes. That's a a bumper sticker right there. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Indeed it is. All right, so let's talk about uh, what's happening in Afghanistan. And I want to read this passage from the Bible. I think it's something that, you know, in hindsight, we need to reflect and we need to stop and think about, you know, 
have a debrief whenever these kind of events happen. And basically, we've got a rerun of Vietnam that is happening in Afghanistan. But the Bible says in Luke chapter 14, uh, it says in verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man begin to build, he was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sits not down first and consults whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is a great way off, he sends an ambassador and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what's Jesus saying here in this illustration? He's basically saying before you make a commitment to me, Mm. to surrender your life to me. Sit down and count the cost. What's this going to cost you? Are you prepared to pay the cost of what it means to be a Christian? Mm. It might cost you your family. It might cost you your livelihood. It might cost you your life. Are you prepared to do that? Now, I would say that that cost is is well worth paying, but what about the cost of the war in Afghanistan? You know, we've been there for 20 years. Let's think about the cost there for a moment and, you know, was it worth it? Did we sit down before we went and count the cost? Mm. Did we sit down and say, yeah, we're going to be here for the next 20 years? Or did we think we'd be done in a year? Okay, so, so far the war in Afghanistan has cost $2.26 trillion. Okay, so it's cost $2.26 trillion. Uh, The GDP of Afghanistan is $19.29 billion. Mm. So if we took the entire GDP of, of, of Afghanistan and gave none of it to the Afghan people and kept all of it for ourselves. So we just took every cent that the country made every year. It would take us 1,189 years to pay for the war, to get mm. our return on investment. Yeah, wow. You know, so did we ever think we were ever going to get any kind of return on investment uh, of what was happening in Afghanistan? Okay, uh, I don't have the figures on the number of soldiers that were killed, but we do know that there was more than 3,200 American soldiers that were killed mm. there. Was it worth their life for what we were for what we accomplished for a you know to create a uh, a, a Western a free Western democratic country that lasted for nine days? Yeah, well, you know, was it worth it? Um, I would say no. <laughs> okay. Uh, then consider terrorist attacks in Afghanistan. We went in there to get rid of terrorism. Well, you know, they're up around the 1,500 per year mark. Mm. Um, and Afghanistan's share of global deaths by terrorism, 41%. Um, you know, Afghanistan's ranking on the global terror- terrorism index, 1%. Yeah, top of the list, and, and this is and this is you know if you compare this, all right. Let's so, so let's think back over some previous years. If you go back to two thousand and one, when we first went to Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan's rank on the global terror, terrorism index was sixteen. Yeah, uh, okay. now it's one. Yeah. Oh, so it's we've deteriorated tremendously. We've just we've we've created a monster. The job. We have created a monster. Yeah, that's what we've done. Uh, deaths from terrorism, if we go back 10 years, was 1,293. Uh, this uh, last year, or oh, sorry, 2019, was 5,725. Mm. Uh, terror, terrorism incidents back 
2011, so 10 years ago, was 364. Uh, 2019, 1422. Uh, the cost to the uh, GDP... Uh, the percentage of the cost of the percentage of the GDP of Afghanistan in 2007, it was uh, the cost of terrorism was 30 percent of their GDP. Mm. Now it's over 50 percent. Uh, share of Afghans who feel who say they feel less safe than five years ago, 80 percent. Oh. Okay, so so this is just a, a massive failure of epic proportions. Mm-hmm. You know, and it really reminds me of these words of Jesus. Did we sit down and count the cost, or did we just get war happy and be like, "Oh, they you know, they wiped out the the the, the, uh, the trade centers in America, so let's go and smash the place." Mm. And, we, and 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 it clearly didn't even work. Yes, like it just you know, you've got you've got uh, Bush who goes in there in the first place, and then you've got you know it scales down somewhat until Obama comes to power. He makes a massive surge of troops into Afghanistan and starts it up all over again. And it's almost like, well, we're losing this war and we're losing money and this is a terrible idea, so let's throw more into it and see if we can get some kind mm. of return on investment. And, you know, really they were just pouring resources down a hole. And that's the problem with these ideological wars is be- can they even be won? You know, you look at a war like World War Two, where, you know, it's all about power and control of you know, nations and invasion and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, they can win one because you have two sides that are fighting for land. Yes. And someone can win. But we've seen in the, uh, like, the Vietnam War should have been such an example for us. It's like when you fight wars of ideology because, you know, we went in there to stop communism, well, how does it work out? Uh, It fails. Absolutely it fails because the country doesn't want that kind of ideology and we're trying to enforce it upon them. Mm. And what that is is a form of neo-colonialism. So you you take an ancient mountain range in South Asia and say, we're going to build a little America right here. Mm. It's not going to work. They don't want a little America right there. Yeah, that's right. They want a little Afghanistan right there. Yeah. Now, we're going to look at that and say, well, that's a terrible system and that's, you know, awful for religious liberty. It's awful for, you know, all kinds of different things. But you can't go around forcing what you think is right on other people. Yeah. That, that's not freedom. That's not that's not liberty. You know, as much as terrorism should be dealt with, I, I think, man, what if we had to take more diplomatic steps, you know, to be able to achieve change in those countries? What if we'd have taken – What? If, and this is something, you know, you go back to – you go back to, you know, when Osama bin Laden brings these attacks on the World Trade Center, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And he is harbored by Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. All right, so Afghanistan doesn't do it. The Taliban don't do it. Al-Qaeda does it. Mm. So what say that we went to uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 where it says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for those which despitefully use you and persecute you. Let's say we'd read that passage and applied it to Afghanistan 20 years ago. Mm. All right, let's think about this for a moment. So you've got a country that is in abject poverty and we flood it with aid while pressuring them to boot al-Qaeda out. Mm. You know, and we spent $2.26 trillion in aid and education and just absolutely helping the country, uh, bringing industry to the country, bringing employment to the country, you know, doing all these kind of things. You know, how popular is Al-Qaeda going to be when they are the ones who are going out and attacking the people who are bringing you aid? Yeah, wow. 
You know, what a different policy that would be. Mm. And I think about, too, like, you know, people, uh, like one of the biggest um, problems that people have with Afghanistan outside of um, terrorism, as we were talking yesterday, is, oh, you know, all the, the opium, like, you know, trade that's going on there. Imagine if you created industries where people could leave the op- opium trade behind because yes. they had jobs. Or legalise the opium trade. I mean, we've got a massive opium trade in Tasmania. Mm. It's entirely legal. Create a legal outlet for it. Yeah, wow. Well. You know, you need opium in our world today for medical reasons. That's right. Mm. So there's lots of solutions that we could have looked at if we had just turned to Scripture and looked at a biblical model rather than having this just, just going back to our human nature. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Joining us on the phone this morning is Jared Stackeroth, editor of Science Magazine. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, Lyle. Thanks for having me. Now, Jared, I understand that, uh, well, I guess... Editing a magazine is one of those things that you can do from home. So you guys are working from home at the moment. Is that kind of how that works? We are, yeah. It's still powering on. Um, thanks to technology, we are still able to do what we need to do. So not too bad. Yes, well, I've often said that, you know, technology has increased to the point where men no longer have to run to and fro. Um, but uh, that seems to be the case. And how's it been going for, for you? What's it like editing, running a magazine from home? How much different is that from doing it in the office? I guess you miss the the collaboration, the chance to chat with your colleagues. But um, in terms of uh, getting the files together, dropping everything in, doing the editing, that's not too different. Um, One challenge that my wife and I have is having a toddler at home. So she needs everything and takes a little bit of your attention away, (laughs) demands your attention while you're trying to work. But apart from that, it's not, yeah, I guess it's not too bad in the day-to-day processes of of doing things, emailing and putting together files and, and sending it back and forth. It's not too bad. For sure. Do you find working from home that work tends to now invade a space that used to be kind of like, you know, sacred space where you switch off, whereas now uh, work is at home. It's not a place where you switch off. It's a place where you go to work. And does it blur the boundaries somewhat for you between, you know, working from home, working from the office, uh, work time and home time? It does a little bit. I try and be quite intentional about switching off my email and my, my laptop once sort of work is done for the day. As I said, with my wife and I both juggling work from home, sometimes we have to be a bit flexible and start early or or work late just to catch up on some of those hours. Um, And so that does have an impact. I think it it tires you out a bit um, to do some of those things. But, yeah, I I try and be intentional about it because I am conscious of the fact that I don't want to taking up precious family time. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. And I know that, um, you know, because... You hear, you know, it's like, oh, we get to work from home. This is going to be great. We don't have to do that commute into work all the time. But I, I hear from, you know, so many people, their workload has increased since it became since it became work from home rather than when they were actually able to go to the office and, and to have that dedicated time. But I'm glad to see that Science is progressing ahead. I'm wondering whether you can tell us, give us an update on where we're up to with Science magazine. What's the latest issue all about? For sure, Lyle. Um, August is a really important month for Science. Traditionally, we've done a lot of promotion around churches and, and travel a lot and sort of really 
used August as our flagship month to sort of re get, encourage people to resubscribe. And we're very proud of the August magazine, actually. It's got a, a cover story about a woman who she attends church here in Sydney and she was a clairvoyant. So she speaks about some of her experiences, her testimony, coming to know Christ and what life was like, I guess, before she knew God. And, and it's really, it's just a fascinating story and a really good read. It's not often that we have somebody who was a clairvoyant, who has given their life to Jesus Christ and in a very real way, I guess a very tangible way, come over from the dark side to the light side, even though we all do that when we come to Jesus Christ. Going through her story, has there been any backlash from the dark side, you know, it's from Satan's dark side, of course, as she has given her life to Jesus? Has 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 Satan made, you know, did, does she document, you know, how Satan has made various attacks on her since then? Yeah, it's interesting um, because she thought she was doing good and helping people. And, it, you know, we got some comments online when we, we shared some things about um, people saying, um, you know, things about being a charlatan or tricking people, that, that clairvoyance, because we said, hey, what would you ask a clairvoyant? What would you like to know? And and most of the comments were sort of a little bit cynical, but she she really thought she was helping people and, and, and she sort of documented how it wasn't necessarily trickery. She did feel like there were spiritual forces, spiritual impressions that she was getting. And so for her, yes, when she came across the God side, when she decided to, to make that decision, she said that her young son would hear screaming and see strange things in his room um, and that, that with the pastor, she had to pray quite hard to get some of those visitations to stop. Um, so they're, they're definitely, she, she sort of exposes some of the spiritual warfare that she's faced and that she's experienced in, in her journey of coming to Jesus. Yes, yeah, so this is a very real thing that people go through uh, from time to time when they, you know, have had direct contact with, uh, you know, the spiritual world of, of of Satan, of the devil, and he doesn't like to give up easily, he likes to just torment people. Uh, when when they give their lives to Jesus Christ, that's quite a uh, quite a stunning story. It's interesting the questions that you you mentioned a bunch of cynical questions that came through because, you know, that's the kind of thing that goes through my mind is that uh, if 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 somebody was going to like, oh, here's a clairvoyant, what are you going to ask them? Well, ask them for the uh, tax lotto numbers or something or other, you know, and not go and buy that particular ticket or whatever it might be. But yeah, it's it's um, I, I guess that cynicism is not particularly helpful in understanding the spiritual battle that is taking place. Yeah, well, we understand that there is a spiritual battle. You know, in our worldview as Christians, there is that spiritual battle. Um, but to accompany this piece in Signs this month, I actually wrote a one of our big questions series on um, whether spiritual forces are even real. Um, are spiritual forces real? And so I looked at some of the, the theory or the philosophy behind um, the development of, you know, cognitive psychology, why they believe that we believe in higher higher powers and, and some of the arguments that are used in that space and tried to sort of suggest that, you know, one thing is experience, like this lady um, experienced. You can't always argue with, with her, her experiences. They're very compelling. But another thing is that there's two ways to interpret the evidence. If we all believe or majority of humans throughout recorded human history have believed in some form of supernatural, something outside of the natural realm, then you can interpret that two ways. You can say, well, we all developed that 
the same and that there's an important reason for that development or that there is actually something out there that caused us to have that understanding, that, that knowledge within our, within our own minds. And so, yeah, I just examined some in, in, in my piece, some of the, the development or the theory of development of, of that and encourage people who are reading and, and perhaps who are cynical on the topic, perhaps who don't believe that spiritual forces are real, just to think again and to consider the fact that if some of this supernatural stuff does exist, we want to be on the right side of it. We want to know the most high God, the God who who created us and controls the universe. And we want to we want to have a better understanding of that so that we understand, you know, supernatural forces and, and what they might want with us. And so just it's a nice companion piece in a bit of a theme developing in our, in our August issue that, that deals with supernatural. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good thing to write about because I often find that the position taken by atheists is quite arrogant because it discounts people's experience. And they're basically saying, no, you didn't have that experience. That wasn't a real experience. Well, how can you judge that if you never had that experience yourself? And, you know, you've got the atheists make up, what, 7% of the population of our world. It's a very small percentage. You know, if the other 93% out there have had a spiritual experience, then why should you be so quick to judge and say that such a thing does not exist? Mm, yeah. The, the other thing that I found interesting, and, and just to, to add to that, was when I was doing the research, is that atheism is actually currently shrinking in our world as, as a, a belief, a framework of belief. Uh, and that's primarily mm. being driven by atheists actually um, reproduce less. And so it's yeah, just an interesting little side point. Okay, coming back to Science Magazine, uh, tell us what else is, uh, what other great articles have we got in Science Magazine this month? So as I mentioned, August is a focal point for science and we're really um, pushing science. So we actually got a former editor of Science to do a bit of a, a history lesson for us, um, how science started and what it's been doing for the 135 years that it's been running. Um, so it, it's quite an interesting piece on yeah, the history of science, how it developed, what its, its um, relationship to Australia has been and how it got here and, and yeah, how it's grown over the years. So 135 years, when you say you got a former editor, it obviously wasn't the original editor that came back to uh, to write this one. <laughs> no, no. Um, Bruce Manners, uh, Pastor Bruce Manners, who was, I think, two or three editors before me. Um, he's still a friend of mine and, and around um, down in Melbourne now, living down in Melbourne, and he, yeah, he kindly um, wrote a bit of a piece on the history of science for us. It's quite interesting to, to just look back and, and see how God has led over the years. 135 years is a long run for a magazine in a country like Australia that is an incredibly young country. Oh, for sure, yeah. So that's late that's, 1800s. And, and so I just, just want to say, you know, congratulations to Science Magazine for being around for 135 years. That's a, an exceptional effort right there. Now, looking back over the changes, there must have been some massive changes that took place in Science Magazine. And I would assume there's going to be a lot of changes, you know, in the future in Science Magazine. If you were to compare Science Magazine with, you know, the first issue that came out, uh, way back in the day with where you are today. Of course, we're moving into a digital world and paper isn't as common as it used to be anymore. How much has science changed over that period? You know, it's changed a lot. <laughs> um, 
but in some ways, it still sticks to the, the, the fundamental reason for existence, which is to share Jesus um, and to, to, to bring hope, I suppose. Um, but, for example, obviously, it, when it started printing, color printing wasn't as accessible or wasn't a thing and, and wasn't, wasn't in color. Um, it was more of a sort of double-sided um, single sheet of, of paper. Now it's a sort of 64-page color magazine. Um, obviously, in the last 10 years or so, we've developed a whole uh, digital platform. You know, we talk on this show about the podcast, about the website, and some of our social media channels. Those are all fairly new um, initiatives. We, we didn't have those sort of even going back 10 or 15 years when I started working at Adventist Media. Um, things have changed a lot. You know, one of the things that science had to do earlier um, in the first sort of early years of its of its beginnings was to include a news element, a news content. They were getting a certain postage rate because they were um, including news in their, um, sorry, because they were claiming to be a newspaper. And someone at the post office said, hang on a minute, this isn't really a newspaper. You guys are a religious tract. Um, and that's when they made the decision to start talking more about current events and to include some of the, the trends and the tech stuff and the science and the well-being news that we have in, in our magazine currently. We've got a lot of stuff that talks about the, the state of the world and, and trends in the world. And that sort of developed from that decision all those years ago um, to say, what value can science add to the community? Is it a news sort of product? Can we get our postage cheaper? So it's funny to see how things like that that developed all those years ago have still carried on in some ways. In some ways, we're still the same. But in many ways, as we said, we've, we've changed a whole bunch. Yes, from a black, black and white double-sided sheet of paper to a, uh, a large magazine with then a whole bunch of social media and digital formats as well is a, uh, is a big change. Any idea, Jared, can you, can, you, can you give us any idea what signs will look like 10 years from now? Any, any, uh, any predictions as to what the future might hold? I think I'll leave the prophecy to the prophet. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can say that we hope that the ministry will still be going. Um, what, what form that takes, I, I can't say. The good thing about still having a magazine in this day and age, you did mention that, um, yeah, magazines are, are dying out, um, are becoming less popular. But at the same time, the beauty of printed word is that people retain so much more of that information. There are studies that are showing that, um, when kids have iPads or laptops at school all the time, they don't necessarily retain as much information as they did with textbooks or with open open pads in front of them to scribble their notes down. And so I think we'll see a, um, a retention or a resurgence even in actual physical paper products. And I also think that, you know, we say that science is for sharing. We love when people share it with friends or neighbours. It's a different way of sharing than what happens in the digital space. Yes, digital assets can go quite far and wide, um, but having a physical magazine that you can sit down and read, it's just a, it's just a different feeling. It's a different vibe. And, and so, yeah, I can't say where it'll be in 10 years, but I, I hope um, that the ministry will still be um, bringing hope and, and sharing Jesus with our, our broader community.
Yeah, that's fantastic, Jared. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. You'll be happy to know, of course, that uh, here on The Breakfast Show, uh, with our latest version of our quiz, we give a science magazine away every day. And the portal there is signsofthetimes.org.au. Cool. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. No worries. Thank you very much. No worries. We'll talk again next month. God bless. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.